From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales, Gator Greats. I'm your host, Adam Schick. On our last episode, we dove into the early rise of the 2008 Gators that came to a screeching halt with the shocking upset at the hands of Ole Miss. But in the aftermath of the loss came the promise from Tim Tebow, 45 seconds that would become immortalized in Gator lore. This is The Promise Fulfilled, Episode 2, Wrecking Ball. As the video of Tebow's pledge started making the rounds through the internet and a fledgling app at the time known as Twitter, there were a fair share of believers, but also lots of skeptics. Athletic Director Jeremy Foley was in the room where it happened and could see the anguish felt by Tebow at the loss of the perfect season. Tim has incredible goals. Tim hates to lose. I mean, they all did. And now it's gone. But, you know... Obviously, they'll go back to earlier to talk about the passion he has, this inspirational type of leader that he is and was then. That didn't surprise me. I loved it. Didn't make excuses. Just, you know, that's how he felt. And I'm sure that I went back to doing what I do, and I, but I'm sure that that resonated with the, his teammates, resonated with his coaching staff. I'm sure Monday's practice was um, was incredible because of those because of that type of emotion, those type of sentiments. But no, I mean, at that point, obviously, you're trying to rebound from a, tif- a difficult loss. Um, you know, because sometimes losing can send you on a bad path too. You start doubting yourself. So uh, I, don't, I don't think any of us really thought, well, that's now we're okay. But I think as you look back, you can probably say, now you know why we were okay. Since Tebow was speaking at a press conference, most of the players didn't know about it until well after the fact, as freshman running back Jeff Demps remembers. I was back in my dorm, you know, with the guys, and I think we heard it on TV, like on Sports Center or something like that. You know, and uh, I mean, we didn't think that, you know, of course, everybody was mad, right. but the time it, it didn't really stick you know because we already knew what was coming you know so for us it was just like a, a regular speech to be honest we knew that what what was coming with urban and, and the rest of the coaches so when we saw it like oh, okay well you know tebow was angry <laughs> and, and he you know the speech was a speech that urban was probably going to give us anyways it was like we took it kind of like that well i I know i I can speak i can't speak for everybody but i know i took it like that like well if tivo wouldn't have said it we would have heard it (laughs) monday or sunday anyways so that's how i took it at the time while tivo's words were most interpreted as a call to action in the locker room head coach urban meyer said the vibrations ran all the way up the flagpole I think whenever you have a player throws hard out on the table like Tim did it, I had it one time, John Simon did it at Ohio State. It makes you, you know, as a coach, first of all, because you're, you know, you guys are the leaders, the head coach and assistant coaches, it makes you self-evaluate. And we all realized we weren't doing a, a good enough job and we have to do a much better job with energy, with focus to detail. And if we expect uh, our players to play to a certain level, we have to coach to a certain level. So it started with the coaching staff and then, uh, Anything other than high level of performance really wasn't acceptable. And I'm talking about practice. There was times at practice I'd have to stop practice early because I felt they were going too hard. 
Hmm. Think about that for a minute. There was times at practice I would have to pull each other off, <laughs> pull them off each other offensive defense. And, you know, the two leaders were Tebow and uh, Spikes and two ultimate competitors. And there were times that I'd look at Charlie Strong and Dan Mullen during inside drill practice. I said, that's good. Get them out of here. Hmm. You know, because I, I was worried they were going to get hurt. That's how hard they were going. Sophomore safety Ahmad Black recalls that while the promise became legendary because of what transpired after the fact, at the time, no one knew the meaning it would ultimately hold. I mean, it won't really, really call it a promise yet. I mean, I think people took it as, you know, Tebow was just talking about Tebow and doing Tebowish things, you know. Um, but just so happened, we just backed it up. <laughs> and uh, I think Tebow had a confidence in our team that, you know, only we knew we had, you know, and, and the people in that building knew um, they were one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country. And um, we just had to go out and play like it every single week. And I think that loss kind of slowed everything down for us, kind of let us put things in perspective of that, you know, um, we can't take anything for granted and we can get beat by anyone in any week. For offensive coordinator Dan Mullen, the key to the promise's power was the fact it was served alongside a slice of humble pie. After that game, there was a sense of focus that, hey, you know, I don't care how good we are or who we think we are. If we don't prepare to play at our highest of levels, we, we might not win the game. And I think that really changed the focus and the mindset of the team moving forward the rest of the way. You know, I think it was a wake up call. Like We were good, you know, and I don't want to say we were cocky. But, you know, we, we know we were good. But, you know, sometimes you need, you know, the light of a fire under your butt sometimes, right, to get you going. And like, hey, come on now. We can be great, but we got to push it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the game was, you know, because after that, man, like, just, uh, like, we worked hard already. You know what I mean? But, like, it, we even took it to another lot of preparation, you know, just from everything, man, the way we ate, the the preparation for the practices, the meetings, like everything was like to the T, super intense to the T, you know, get the job done, you know, mm-hmm. don't look past anybody, just, you know, dominate the opponent in front of you. And then after that, that's what it was. For junior return specialist Brandon James, while the undefeated dream was gone, championship or bust was still in their control. I mean, it was just one of those things where we we had to get back on track. And we felt like, again, losing that game to Ole Miss, a team that had no business beating us, especially in the swamp. We prided ourselves on never losing in the swamp. And for us to lose, you know, at home the way we did and just, you know, crap down our legs, in in my opinion, (laughs) in that game. Like you said, once we, you know, Coach Meyer did a great job of motivating us. And that whole week, he didn't really tear us down about the loss. It was all for, okay, well, here on out, we're going to do it this way. We're going to prepare this way. We're going to do this. And, you know, Tebow gave the great speech. That's the famous quote now. But, you know, again, we, you, know, you had a bunch of guys who were leaders in their own right. Myself, Percy Spikes, uh, the young guys on the O-line, Pouncey, they did a great job uh, cutting ham on the D-line. Like, you had a bunch of leaders who were ready to take hold of their position groups anyway. So, um, everyone just kind of locked in, did their job, led by example. And it wasn't really much to be said. Everyone kind of just knew like, okay, you know, that's not going to happen again. And we're going to make sure we dominated every other opponent, um, to kind of show that, you know, we were the best team in the country. And, you know, one thing Tebow did say in that speech, uh, it was real big for us because we wanted to go undefeated. No one had went undefeated and we, 
we felt like we were the best team in Florida history. So we were going to go undefeated and to not be able to, it was a letdown. But again, we still felt like we could show that we were uh, one of the best teams in Gator Nation history. To be one of the best ever, they needed the defense to bounce back in a major way. As Ahmad Black remembers, that happened thanks largely to the leadership of Brandon Spikes and others. You know, he was the alpha dog of our defense. I mean, we had guys all over that that, that can step up at any time. You know, if something needed to be said, I think that's what made us so great is because that we didn't have just that one guy who, you know, was able to speak for the team. I think we had a bunch of Spikes that, you know, was alpha dog, but everybody respected him because we know when he when he spoke, he meant that when he's going to go out and play it and play like it, you know. So, you know, everybody respected Spikes um, from, from the day we were on campus. And he was he, he was a year older than me. So um, I just remember when I came on my visit, he was my host. And there was no way um, a college freshman had a full-grown beard and, and was 6'4", like 230-pound <laughs> playing linebacker. And I'm like, what am I getting myself into, you know? The reshuffling of the deck also led to additional breakthroughs, as players like redshirt junior David Nelson used the collective wake-up call to find their place on the field. Well, it was very hard on its own. Uh, it is even harder when you sabotage yourself by not buying into what the coaches are trying to get you to do. <laughs> um, I, I was just so stubborn. And I, like I said, I wanted to catch passes. And coach, I remember Coach Meyer would look at me and he's like, are you silly? Like we have Riley Cooper. We have Lewis Murphy. We have Cornelius Ingram. We have Rainey. We have Dems. We have Tebow. We have Percy Harvin. I mean, we have like, we have so many yeah. different guys that we can give the ball to. You got to set yourself apart. You got to show me why I need to get you on the field, why I need to put you on the field. And it wasn't until after the Ole Miss game with the, the Tebow promise. You know, up until that point, I'd played sparingly. I'd played garbage minutes. Uh, I'd go in and, you know, I was known for, at that time for blocking. And so I'd go in and, and kind of seal the perimeter for some stuff that we were doing with the speed option game. But, you know, never in, in meaningful minutes, never in meaningful time. And I remember coming off the field against Ole Miss and, and how difficult that was and Walking into the locker room and seeing guys at that point, I was a junior and I'd been a registered junior. So I'd been there for four years, three and a half years. And I'd really gotten to know a lot of the guys that are on our team and developed a relationship and a bond. And walking into that locker room and seeing guys like Lewis Murphy and Tebow, who had just, I mean, blood stains on their uniforms and dirt and grass stains on their uniforms and had given everything that they have to this program and to that game specifically. And, and we just came out defeated. And here I was walking in there, I'd played maybe four or five plays had no grass stains on my, on my, on my uniform. And, uh, just really felt guilty. It really felt like I'd let my teammate down, teammates down. And it was one of the most disgusting feelings I've ever had in my life and, and going home and then turning on the news. And the first thing I see is my starting quarterback getting up there making this promise to the nation about how a team will never play harder or never, no team will never, uh, do greater. And it really hit me and it really kind of opened my eyes to a greater perspective, uh, that, you know what, this isn't about me. Up until that point, I, I was really selfish and was really self-centered on, on what I wanted to accomplish and things I wanted to do. Um, and I remember walking into the, I couldn't sleep that night. The next morning, I walked into Coach Meyer's office, office and he had told me pretty bluntly up until that point, weeks leading up to that, that if I want to get in the field, special teams is going to be the way to do that. And I remember walking to his office after that Sunday after the game and said, Coach, whatever I have to do to help this team. You know, I was a junior at that point. Like, I didn't want to leave the program not having done anything significant, not having done the things that I had set out to do, like I said, in the recruiting process of building something special. Like, I was a great teammate. And yeah, I was a good, good student. But, you know, I had just done nothing on the field that would you know, leave a legacy or would be what I would consider contributing to this program. And so after that game, just walking in there and telling him, you know, Coach Meyer, 
whatever I have to do to help this team, whatever I have to do to be a part of this program, whatever I have to do to, to take us to the next level. I don't want to be the problem. I want to be the solution. I don't want to walk into the locker room and see these guys just having given their all and I didn't do anything. Um, that's just, that's, that it just, it, it didn't sit well with me. And so being able to, to have that conversation with him and in the next week, he put me on a couple of special teams. And, and from there is when kind of my, my career at the university kind of took off. As Irvin Meyer reflects from there is also where a championship season took off. We had one of those early games at Arkansas. It was not, they were not a great team. Uh, the crowd was not, you know, it was one of those noontime kicks and we just, it wasn't, the atmosphere wasn't very good. We weren't playing. We had, you know, Brandon Spikes was our leader on defense, and he wasn't playing very well, wasn't leading very well. And offensively, I can see the pressure getting to Tim, who's usually full of energy. And in the second half against Arkansas is when the whole season turned. And that was uh, Jeff Demps and Chris Rainey, true freshmen, exploded uh, for some big plays. Tim played well in the second half. Our defense started to play well. We had a good playing right home, and then it really started. And then it kicked in, and I mean, we didn't have a, a close game the rest of the year. While Demps noted that his memory was a bit foggy on the Ole Miss game, he's very clear on the trip to Fayetteville, as an injury to starting running back Keaston Moore meant he and sophomore Chris Rainey would be shouldering the load out of the backfield. The Arkansas game, I remember a lot. That was kind of like me and uh, Rainey's coming out party in a week because uh, uh, Keaston Moore, you know, was a good friend and a mentor. You know, he w- he went down, so... You know, me and Rainey, you know, Rainey's the what the red shirt freshman and I'm a you know, true freshman and you know, we gotta step up, you know, the next man up. So it's like, man, you know, I wanted to play, but was I really ready for the start? I'm like, ah, you know, that was tough. So the preparation for that week was really, really tough. Uh, you know, of course we were prepared. And, you know, coming into the game, uh, they let us know that we were both gonna tote the load because, you know, they don't wanna throw too much pressure on us. Right. But uh, we both we both had a coming out a coming out game, man. I think we both went over uh, went over a hundred. Um, I had two two TDs. I think he had one or two TDs. So it it was good, man. You know, it was like I said that wake up call. As far as like being on the field and playing as a, a you know a offensive guy, mm-hmm. you know, I, I played that. You know, I started on special teams, but you know, just getting that role as a running back, you know, to get in and show what I can do, and then Randy also showing what he can do. You know, it was uh, it was definitely a good game for us. Five and a half minutes remaining in the game. Four to 24. Arkansas seven. Gators with a first down at their own 25. And now here's a Tebow handing the ball off to the running play. Chris Rainey spinning and twisting. 35-40 off to the left into the secondary. 50-40. There he goes down the left sideline. Rainey, he's going to take it all the way down to the pylon and dive near the goal line. He's in. Touchdown on a beautiful 75-yard touchdown run. I tell you, you take Jeff Dimps and Chris Rainey, it's pretty compelling to give them the ball. That was a terrific run. Brantley takes the snap, hands the ball off on a running play. Here comes Dempson. Dempson is into the secondary and gone at the 30, at the 20, at the 10, and he will score on a 48-yard touchdown run as quick as a hiccup. The Gators have now opened up a 37-7 lead. The 38-7 win set the now 11th-ranked Gators on the right track both offensively and defensively, leading into a high-profile showdown with 4th-ranked LSU, which was significant for the reasons you might expect but also for one you probably wouldn't anticipate. I just remember those guys were talking a lot of trash. Mm-hmm. The D-linemen, mm-hmm. 
or saying, you know, they were going to take Tebow out and, you know, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And, you know, we're, we're on our hot streak and, you know, just the whole week, Urban just wanted, you know, for me, my thing was, I don't know which day of the week it was, but he said if we won that game, we would get like a day off or something like that. And I was so motivated, man. Like, <laughs> man, if we could get this day off, like, it'll be incredible. So I was like, man, we got to win this game. And I think everybody else felt the same way, man. Like, it was that just getting that, you know, like I said, man, we worked so hard. So it was like just to get that day, like, man, we about to go out here and just, you know, play balls to the wall. Right. And then, you know, we had that fire too, go the guys talking all the noise. And then once we, you know, got out, you know, big game in the swamp, like night game, like it was cra- like Miami and that night game was 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 crazy. But the SEC night game, LSU, you know, coming in, I knew I was gonna have a big role as well. You know, we wanted to run the ball. We were taking the uh, splits from the linemen, you know, maybe a step out further to give us me and Randy the gaps to actually hit. So it was like, yeah, we are gonna run heavy. It's gonna be a, a run heavy game. The day off was a nice carrot for the freshmen, but given what transpired the year before in Baton Rouge, Ahmad Black says the returners were eager for vengeance. Oh man, that was a big one because um, the year before they won a national championship, and, and if you if you remember, they got six fourth down conversions on that that kind of like took us out of the game, and they beat us over at, at, at LSU. We were up fourteen in the fourth quarter and had two turnovers, uh, two more three interception, and we fumbled. And uh, you know that kind of flip things around for us. Um, they got a couple calls. Uh, one of those calls, Jacob Hester, it looked like his knee was down in the backfield, but, you know, we're at LSU and, you know, we you know we shouldn't have been in a situation until that one play can, you know, change the game anyway. So we have plenty of opportunities to put the game away or whatnot and do the things that we need to do necessary to win the game, and we weren't able to do that. I do know that that's when they were calling T-Ball's phone, blowing his phone up. They had got a hold of his phone number and kept calling, kept calling um, the year before. So I know, uh, you know, oh wait, we just we we, we kind of know we had to um, get our get back basically. Um, LSU was undefeated; they're 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 pretty good, and uh, we put a hurting on them early. That tip pass with with Percy kind of freaking, I mean, to this day gives me chills just to think about how how crazy the crowd went and, and seeing him walking in. So. And now here's the snap to Tebow, dropping back, looking, looking, and throws the ball deep down the field. It's tipped, and then it's going to be caught by Harvin into the secondary. Harvin to 30, cuts between the hash marks to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, touchdown! Oh, my! Percy Harvin makes a catch off a deflected ball and takes it in 69 and a half yards. Well, I think one of the things, you know, I mean, you, you saw it and, you know, you see on any of the deep crossing routes, you know, hey, you really, if you get somebody in man-to-man coverage trying to cover Percy on a deep crossing route, that's uh, – you better have some Olympic <laughs> track athletes trying to keep up with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I saw him get away, and Tim just underthrew it slightly, and the DB was able to dive and just get a fingertip on it, you know. But Percy's so athletic, his ability to adjust to the ball after the tip, and as soon as he caught it, and, you know, I think I, I don't know if in the history of football, if there's ever been a more open, exciting open field player than Percy Harvin, you know, in college football, I don't know if there's, a, you know, and, and maybe even the NFL. Uh, and all of a sudden there he is in the wide open field with and there's people still out there that he's got to go beat. But all of a sudden he's got the ball with a lot of space in the open field around him. And he just, you know, I mean, made a guy miss and put on the jets and, and it was, it was see you later. And then, you know, opening up, you know, with Percy Harvin, um, catching the TD pass, man, it was like, 
seeing the, it was electric in the swamp, man. And I think that set the tone, you know, when Percy caught that catch and, you know, took it in and then uh, me having the, the uh, run, a couple runs, Rainey having a couple runs. Um, just overall, man, it was it was an exciting game. Everybody played well, man. But I know definitely know that that play with Percy, yeah, that touchdown catch, you know, definitely ignited everything. Now here's Tebow on an option, tossing the ball left on a pitch to Dimps. Dimps to the left side to the 30. Look out, he's to the 20, and Dimps is gone. He's in. Touchdown. Oh, my. Dimps delivers an electrifying 43-yard run on an option toss. That score by Dimps made it 34-14 at the end of the third quarter. And while you might not remember that play, you probably remember the one that happened mere seconds after the crowd finished We Are the Boys. Second down, eight. For LSU, Jarrett Lee in the shotgun looks to throw, and it's going to be intercepted second time tonight. Brandon Spikes in open field, running the ball down the left sideline, breaks the tackle at the 25, gets to the 15, to the 10, to the 5, touchdown! Oh, my! Brandon Spikes has just picked off his second pass, and this one, he took it all the way for the touchdown. And more impressive than that, he punted the ball into the end zone. He was so excited. What a terrific play. Two interceptions by Brandon Spikes, and those weren't interceptions that hit him in the chest. He reached out with his hands and made another great catch and legged it in. Holy cow. The first pick, I was, like, covering the guy kind of like I was on him, but I was just kind of, like, not jogging, but I went running as hard. I was like, he ain't going to – it ain't no room over there. And I'm like, I'm got him. He's not going to throw it. And he threw it right to him. I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll take this. Thank you. He, he threw it right to me. So I was like, okay, cool, whatever. I ain't really say much. I'm like, you can bring anybody out of the stand to make that play. So the second one, now I've I seen him come out in a familiar formation I had studied the whole week. You know, Charlie Stone did a great job of getting us prepared that whole season. You know, we was getting all of these reps throughout the year, and we just, you know, with our experience, this is almost, you know, we had about three or four years of the playing experience at the time. I know I had three or whatever, so a lot of stuff that was a little frustrating or, I, you know, I didn't quite get as a freshman, it started clicking my junior year. So a lot of plays I made was just – it was kind of like I made them already throughout the week. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The coaches put us in, you know, great position to make plays. But I've seen this, this particular formation, and I'm like, okay, he's going to throw the slant. I know he's going to throw the slant because he's been throwing the slant all season when they come out of this. And he's he's just one of these guys that just going to do what he's been told to do. So I'm like, whatever, I'm going to jump this route if he throw it. He came out, stared a hole through his jersey, and threw it right to him. And I grabbed it. I took off. Or whatever, and I and I, I ran like twenty thirty yards, and I, I ain't the fastest guy, right? And so I'm like, "Yo, where where everybody at? These dudes ain't caught me yet." And I looked up, and I was like, "Oh, I'm almost to the end zone. It's gonna be my first pick six. I'm almost there." And I got it was like fifty plus yards. I'm like, "I can't be that." So I look back, all these guys chasing me and stuff. And I was like, "Forget it. I'm, I'm punting this thing. I, I never, I might not ever experience this ever again." Crazy thing is, I think I hit the end zone four times that year. Of interceptions, but I, I feel like that was like my longest one, my first one ever to like take it back 50 yards. Everybody chased me, so I had to put it in the stands, man. It was just a lot of people, they always, people talk to me about that. They always want to know about the Marino hit, but a lot of people talk about that play. Like, man, I remember you, it was a night game in the swamp, LSU. You punted the ball in the stands, man. I was lit. I was, it was crazy, man. I had never seen nothing like it. I felt like I was out there with you. That's probably like, even for me, that's probably my favorite play of my career. You know, outside of even winning a national championship, even, you know, hitting Marino in his mouth, 
You know, I hit a lot of guys in MLB, believe it or <laughs> not. But, you know, a lot of people talk about that hit for some reason. I'm like, you know how many people I punished? Like, literally ripped them apart. Like, took <laughs> all kind of crazy stuff. Like, the stuff that I would get suspended now. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, if I played right. college ball now, I wouldn't have a, I, I wouldn't have a lot of tape to show to the <laughs> scouts. Because they were, for real, though. Like, those guys, they barely hitting people. And they taking them out for a half and suspending for the next game. Right. That's crazy to me. Right. More on that Moreno hit in our next episode. But getting back to the pick six, Ahmad Black still recalls watching the ensuing foot race and wondering what the outcome would be. I remember him intercepting the ball, and I just remember running down the sideline. They had a deep route, so me and Joe Hayden were, were in the back, and we were closer to Spikes was, but they threw a slant. Um, he stepped in the, in the passing lanes and intercepted the ball. And when he intercepted the ball, you know, Spikes ran a five flat, but he got some game speed, so I... I kind of knew he was going to get there a little bit. I just know he had to beat that last lineman. I don't, I'm going to have to tell him about how the lineman almost caught him, but he had to beat the last lineman, and uh, and we got he got in the end zone. But when he punted the ball, me and Joe Hayden looked at each other and was like, what? Couldn't believe he just he literally just punted the ball. Here's Brandon James. The LSU game was special because, again, the year before, we had to hear from Coach Marotti about how many times they went forward on fourth down on us, and they don't respect you guys, and just all the crap we had to go through from them beating us last year. Step into that game, and I remember vividly before that game, all the leaders saying, like, look, man, we're about to kill these guys. We're going to dominate them, man. And to see my boy Brandon Spikes, you know, who who he will tell you still to this day, which I'm pretty sure he told you in the interview, uh, everyone, he, he's a five-flat, four-nine speed guy. For him to take a punt return back like 50 yards, <laughs> and like to see the speed kick in, and to see him high kneeing it to the end zone and doing the Dion, got the ball in two hands and just doing his thing, that was enough for me. I didn't have to score. I think I had a big return that game, but I didn't even have to score that game, seeing him get in the end zone. And to see him punt the ball, you know, out of the stadium, yeah. well, not out of the stadium, but into the crowd, you know, because, again, I grew up losing my mind when I score and seeing Devin Hester take his helmet off and Dion celebrate. So all of us guys were football historians. We knew all about the game and we knew like, hey, when you make those big plays, it's, it's okay to lose your mind for a second. And that's their football. That's LSU's ball. He kicks it out. Of, he kicks it into the <laughs> into the stands. So I remember running on the field, being the first one to, to, to tackle him and jump onto him, man. And I was excited for him, man. And the crowd went crazy, man. And I was like, man, this cat just kicked the ball in the, out of the stadium. You know what I mean? On top of him having the return he did and nobody being able to run him down. And still to this day, I joke with him like, boy, you got field speed because nobody was able to run you down. You know what I mean? <laughs> to a man, the 08 Gators all share the same recollections of their 51-21 thrashing of the Tigers. And in addition to feeling great in the moment, David Nelson also felt it told them something about themselves and what they could ultimately achieve. I remember the before the kickoff, they were playing thunder, <laughs> and I remember the whole. I mean, they did it every game. You know, it's 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 always special. But for whatever reason, that game, it was just. I mean, the atmosphere was electric. I mean, you can just tangibly feel the emotion, the passion. That up until that point, after the Ole Miss game, we had come out, we've done some stuff, we had a couple of games we were closer, but you know, we were starting to really find our groove. And in that game, I remember it was the first time, you know, as a competitor, that you. You knock them down, but you don't just knock them down. You kind of you just defeat them. And you know LSU is one of our biggest rivals, and I think it was the year before that they went for it on fourth down a few times. And I just remember the LSU game specifically when when Percy caught that that one, I think it was an eighty yard touchdown and just took it to the house. And mm-hmm. then spikes with the with the pick six and just all of our superstars playing at a high level and just doing some amazing things. And we just didn't stop. 
Because up until that point, we kept saying, like, man, it's going to be a beautiful thing when we finally all play together. And we put all three phases together when our offense is clicking, when our defense is clicking, when our special teams is clicking. Up until that point, we have games where our defense and special teams were playing really well, but our offense didn't necessarily find their rhythm. Or our offense played really well, but our defense just couldn't find their rhythm. Man, that game, every snap, I feel like we were just setting the tone, offense, defense, special teams. And uh, up to that point, it was kind of a pipe dream, hoping maybe we can be a championship team. We know what is capable. We know what a championship team looks like because we were a part of one in 06, but we're not playing like that. We haven't been able to put that all together. But at LSU game, it was just, I think everybody in the country, everybody in that locker room, everybody in that, in that stadium realized that this is a team that when they play together, when they do everything they need to do, they are dangerous. Florida leapt up to number five in the polls after the blowout, gaining back nearly all the ground they lost after the Ole Miss game in just two weeks. Up next was homecoming against Kentucky, which, just like the Ole Miss game, was a noon kickoff. To ensure they didn't have another zombie-like performance, they started blaring the music at 6.30 in the morning and overwhelmed the Wildcats with extra special teams. Tim Maste to try and punt it again. Here they come, and it's blocked again as the Gators got a block up on the inside. Jeff Demps blocked it. The ball going out of bounds near the goal line on the far side. Out of bounds at the one-yard line. Oh, my! Oh! Two punts! Two blocks, Gators first and goal again. At that point, our confidence was, was through the roof. You know, not like I said, not again, not cocky. We were just super confident, and we had the momentum. You know, so it wasn't like about them at that point. It was just us just, you know, not beating ourselves and playing to our potential, man. You know, we just played LSU. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that was one of the biggest, toughest teams I've seen. So it was like after that. It's like, man, we beat those guys, and we had a, we had that type of game. I think I won over a hundred that game. So I'm like, man, if we can do that against them, or we just, you know, keep this momentum going, imagine what we can keep doing. And right. so against Kentucky, it was just coming off of that momentum, and you know, it was just like they were in the way, you know, of the mm-hmm. other of, of the train, and that's what it was. Not saying anything against those guys, you know, they had some <laughs> talent, they had talented players as well. But you know, we we're on the mission, man. Mm-hmm. At that point, we were on the mission, and we were rolling. I just remember that that Kentucky game. We went out with with a mentality that we got to kick these guys' ass and, and you know keep this streak going. And uh, we jumped out on them early with with I think uh, two block punts and a block field goal, and um, they couldn't recover after that. <clears throat> Me personally, I didn't have a lot of success because Dips and Rainey was blocking every punt in Murph. But <laughs> at the same time, again, man, I'm all about winning. You know what I mean? I put my pride aside and personal success aside, and I'm all about getting the W. And so I can remember vividly like. Uh, Every fourth down, Coach Myers saying, all right, we're going for the block. And I'm like, God, darn it. God. You know what I mean? Getting mad. But at the same time, they're getting their hand on the ball every time they're back there. You know what I mean? So, man, we, we took control of that game. And, again, Coach Myers was a special team coach. So that's a testament to how much pride he took uh, into special teams and how great of a job he did preparing us. You know, everyone that plays special teams and that, you know, again, by 08, I had somewhat of a role on the offense. It wasn't anything drastic or big or anything like that, but I did, you know, play snaps on offense, had some success, had catches, had a couple runs, had some touchdowns, but it wasn't big. So my main role was special teams. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was good to know that your head coach thought of the special teams just as important as he did offense or defense. So that's the way everybody approached it. Everyone approached it. And so from Lou, Joey Sarantino to uh, Doc Holliday's kid, um, Cade Holliday, um, all those guys that were just walk-ons that just played special teams and to some of the freshmen from uh, Dips and Rainey, some of the younger guys, man, um, 
everyone took pride in just making plays, man, on special teams. And again, you said it, uh, beating, a, I don't care if it's Vanderbilt or if it's Kentucky or whoever the lower tier SEC teams are, when you beat a team, if you put 63 points on a team, which in my opinion is a basketball score, <laughs> that, that that's just that's just crazy numbers. Here's another crazy number. Thanks to all of those blocks, Florida scored 28 points before Kentucky had a first down. The 63-5 declawing of the Wildcats served as another testament to one of the greatest special teams units in college football history. Although you probably wouldn't guess one of the primary motivators that Demps still gleefully recalls. I think just the emphasis on it, man, like... Like Urban, like I said, like we would eat dinner and the special teams unit would be the first first people to eat, you know, the, in front of the quarterbacks, running backs, front of Tebow, everybody, like special teams ate first. But it was just like we had kind of like this, this military mindset, man. And Urban had us trained to, to believe, like I said, you know, we the best unit in the country. It was like nothing. But, you know, we took pride of, okay, you guys are the, the toughest guys on the field. You guys are the toughest ones in the country. So, you know, the guys took pride in that. And then – if you did well, you know, you were rewarded with, I think these, it was like these black shirts, man, that had like the Punisher's face on it. <laughs> and you had orange with it, you had black. The black mean you was the top dog. You know, and who who don't want to be the toughest guy, you right. know, on a team full of tough guys? You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like people really took pride in it. So we wanted to dominate, man, like especially. Like if we dominate the special teams, we kind of knew we had the game in the bag. Like if we block, like I said, we blocked the punt, we, we knew we had the game in the bag just because of the stats. If we ran a punt, if we had, you know, we held a block on punt team, our punt return team for a second, we knew that was 10 yards. We had it for two seconds. We knew that was 20 yards. It was like we were just so well prepared and trained, man. And we knew if we did certain things, the outcome of the game would be in our favor. Mm-hmm. And we were just trained that way. It was it was it was something, man. That was incredible. I've never been anything, uh, been a part of anything like that before. People would run through a wall for this for the black shirt. <laughs> I'm telling you, like to this day, you ask anybody about the black special team shirts, man. Like it was crazy. Special forces, those are special forces, and you ask anybody, like people, like the starters on offense wanted to be on special teams. I'm telling like people begging Urban to get on special teams, man. Like it was crazy. As the Gators hit the bye week, they could now talk about and begin officially preparing for the game that had been fueling them for nearly 365 days. On our next episode, Florida heads to Jacksonville seeking revenge against Georgia and begins the home stretch of the regular season. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, giving a special thanks to production assistant Eli Rosen and to all of you for joining us for this latest installment of Gator Tales, Gator Greats.